is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so this morning it's a, a real joy uh, to welcome Matt Weasel to us to preach. Matt uh, leads the team at King's Church uh, in Leicester. And obviously Leicester's a church that we've had a lot to do with over the years. We were planted out of Leicester originally. And uh, in more recent times I've had the privilege of serving them as a church and working with their, uh, their leadership team. It's been great to see uh, Matt and the Dean and the family move from Hull just about a year or so ago, wasn't it, uh, down to Leicester. And a number of us were in Leicester a few weeks ago uh, to bring Matt into eldership and to recognize him as leading the team formally in the church now. And so it's great for uh, us to have Matt speaking this morning. I want you to receive him well and welcome him. And let's show him our welcome now as he comes to speak. Thanks, Matt. Okay, I'm on. Yes. Great. It's great to see, he- see you. It's great to be here. Um, Looking forward to just uh, getting into God's word this morning. And uh, as Graham said, we've, we, we moved to Leicester last year, November last year. And it's just a really exciting time for us, just kind of anticipating what God might do with us as a church um, as we seek to kind of move forward together. So, so yeah, so um, I was uh, praying really this week about what I should bring. Unfortunately, I've been away, so I didn't really have time to prepare anything new. So I was praying about which sermon I should, I should bring. Uh, it would have to be one I've done before. And I had the usual ones in mind, but actually felt God lead me to a sermon I did from the book of Ezra earlier this year, quite unexpectedly, really. So I'm hoping that I'm kind of following the Holy Spirit through, going, uh, through uh, using this sermon. And uh, I hope that, that I'm walking in step with him and that that it rings a chord with you really this morning. It kind of speaks to you. So in a moment, we're going to be reading from Ezra chapter 4. But before I do that, I want to try and kind of set the situation in context for you really. Um, so uh, when we did this series in, in Leicester, um, lots of people in our church hadn't actually read the book of Ezra. And so it was new for some people. So I, I'm just, I'm sure all of you have, <laughs> but um I'm just going to set it in context, just in case you don't know what's happening in this book. So basically, Ezra's uh, in the Old Testament, and it's set in the history of, of, of God's people, Israel, at a time where they're returning from exile. So God had led the Israelites into the promised land, and they had kind of settled, and God had established them as a kingdom and a nation among the other nations of the world. They had uh, a temple, they had a capital city, they had kings on the throne, and, and uh, the Israelites were really established as, God, as, as, as a nation um, in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so, but what happened uh, over time is that the people started to drift away from God. And um, God kind of gave them opportunity after opportunity to come back to him and worship him. But instead, they started mix, mixing their worship. They, were, they, 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 were start, they started worshiping the gods of the land. Uh, the gods that the pagan people worshipped around them, alongside the living God. And, and, and the Bible says God's a jealous God, yeah? He's a je- he wants our worship. And he doesn't want other things to get in the way. And so the people refused to let go of these false gods and turn back to the living God. 
And so eventually God's judgment came on the people in the form of an invading army coming in and sending them off into exile. And so we find the Israelites are taken away into captivity, into Babylon, and they stay there for kind of around 70 years in exile. But then God still had a plan for his people. Even though they had drifted, even though they had abandoned him, God had not abandoned them. He had a heart, a plan to bring them back to the promised land and rebuild Jerusalem. And so basically, Ezra kind of marks the beginning of that chapter in Israelites' history, where they're returning from exile. Some people come back, return to the promised land to start rebuilding. And God makes it all happen. We read amazingly at the start of the book of Ezra, God moves the heart of King Cyrus to enable him to, to, to release the people to go. And so, and so as they go, he, he releases resources for them to go as well and to rebuild. And I just think these books, uh, Ezra and, and Nehemiah, which follows directly after, are actually really helpful for us to look at um, as a church, uh, as, as the church today, because effectively what the Israelites are doing is they're going back to rebuild something. And we know, don't we, that we are part now of God's plan to build the church. And so we can draw a lot of parallels from the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as they're looking to rebuild the temple in Ezra, kind of get the heart of Israel back, the temple which represented worship and the presence of God. They're looking, they, they go back to rebuild the temple. And then later, Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the walls. You can see a lot of parallels in, in terms of building the church and how uh, God, God's plan now is to build the church. And so we, we, it's really helpful to look back at these books. And we found it a great encouragement reading through the book of Ezra. And what we find is that we read through the first few chapters is that things are going really well. As I said, the king allows the people to go back to the promised land and start rebuilding. He gives them resources to go. And things seem to be going quite well. And, and, and in the first couple of chapters, we read that, I think chapter 3, it says that the, temp, uh, the, the altar is rebuilt. So they rebuild the altar, and then they rebuild the foundations. They lay the foundations for the temple. And it seems like this building work is happening. It's, it's going forward. It's, it's going somewhere. It's moving somewhere. It's going well. Then we get to chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and then verse 24. We're missing out a whole chunk in chapter 4, because that actually refers to later events. So we're just reading verses 1 to 6, and then, th and then finally verse 24. So if we could have that up on the screen, if we've got it. If not, turn to your Bibles. Anybody got a Bible with them? There we go. Okay. So Ezra chapter 4, it says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Ezahadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, 
And the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials and worked against them to frustrate their plans. During the entire reign of the king of Persia and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Actually, we'll stop there and then move on to verse 24. And it says, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Okay. Before we had our first child, we've got three kids. And before we had our first child, we thought we'd take a nice holiday together, me and my wife. We'd heard the horror stories of sleepless nights and nappies and all the stuff that comes with having a newborn. And we thought, you know what, we'll go away and get some good rest. So we borrowed a friend's caravan. We didn't have loads, loads of money. We borrowed a friend's caravan and actually had to borrow their car as well because that had a tow bar. Ours didn't. And so we drove off to the Yorkshire Moors. And uh, we found a campsite, parked up the caravan to get some rest and have a nice holiday before our first child came along. But what we found is that it actually it rained every single day we were there. And we were stuck in this tiny little caravan. And we started to get a bit frustrated, a bit bored, a bit fed up. Until finally the rain broke one day and we thought, right, let's go. This is it. We'll get out. It's our chance to see the Yorkshire Moors. So we're out driving on the Yorkshire Moors and we're going down this hill and suddenly the car just cuts out completely. I've never had that happen to me before. It's my friend's car. I'm like, what's up here? And drifting down the hill, I had to steer it over to the side and park up on the verge because just, there was just no power in the car. And we were completely stuck. We're like, okay, let's call the AA. Pulled the phones out. We're on top of the Yorkshire Moor. No reception. <laughs> Okay, what do we do next? My wife was quite heavily pregnant at this point. We thought, I know, we'll go back. We saw a pub a bit further back. Let's go and walk back there. So we're on the verge, walking back towards this pub. My wife steps in a pothole, falls over, hurts her ankle. <laughs> she was okay, but I kind of helped her up. She hobbled on. We got to the pub. I need to find the pub was derelict which we hadn't realized when we drove past. And there just didn't seem to be anyone about. So we're like completely stuck. What do we do next? There doesn't seem to be anybody about. We're out on the moors. We've got no reception. We'll just have to wait for someone to come past. And eventually the police showed up. And funnily enough, they were looking for a, an abandoned vehicle um, to do with a suspected kidnapping. And so they thought our vehicle pulled over on the side of the road was very suspicious. <laughs> so we kind of told the story of what happened and they believed us. And um, they took us to their nearest base, which had a, uh, a phone line, a landline. And it was on top of the Yorkshire Moors and it was a missile tracking system, uh, a, a missile tracking base. 
And so it had all these guys standing around with machine guns. And so we were there just calling the AA, sipping a cup of tea, being guarded by these guys with machine guns. AA came, car, the, the timing belt had snapped in the car. That was the end of the holiday. I've entitled this talk today, Handling Frustration. Handling Frustration. Have any of you ever had to handle frustration in your life? Get frustrated. You plan things, don't you? And you try and do things, and they don't always work out how you intended. And that's kind of what's happening here in Ezra 4. That's what happened to us. We planned this holiday And it came to an abrupt end, not the holiday we had planned. And that's kind of what's happening here in Ezra chapter 4. God has called them to rebuild the temple. But suddenly we find that there's this opposition that is looking to bring frustration and opposition to the plan. And so I'm just going to look at three questions this morning. How does frustration arise? How does it make us feel and how do we respond? So firstly, how does frustration arise? Well, it starts here in Ezra with people who come to Zerubbabel, who was leading the work at this point, and ask if they can help because they claim that they worship the same gods. These people say that that they worship Yahweh. However, we read in verse 1 that these were actually enemies of Israel. If we go back to 2 Kings 17, we learn how actually these these people's ancestors had learnt to worship Yahweh, but also they worshipped other gods as well. The same account tells us that they worshipped other gods as well in 2 Kings 17. And the reason Israel had gone into exile in the first place was because that's what they were doing. They had got into trouble because they were worshipping the gods of the land, other gods. And so Zerubbabel and his people were very wise, actually, to say, no, we don't want any part with you. We don't want your help in the rebuilding because we don't want to ally ourselves with people who worship other gods because that's what happened before, and it led Israel into this place um, where they received God's judgment and exile, and they didn't want to go down that road again. And so it was a very wise decision to say, no, we don't want your help. But it was a decision that brought difficult consequences. It meant that these enemies kind of changed their tactics. Instead of trying to appear friendly and win influence from the inside, they began to show very public, all-out opposition kind of from the outside. And it says in these verses that they set out to discourage the people of Judah And make them afraid to go on building. They even bribe the officials to work against them. And it says they want to frustrate their plans. They wanted to frustrate the plans of the Israelites to rebuild the temple. And get it all in place again. And it says they were paying bribes effectively. They were hiring people who could work against them to bring opposition against them. And so what we find is that the Israelites are facing three fronts of attack, three fronts of opposition. 
They've got enemies that want to discourage them. They've got enemies that want to strike fear into their hearts and actually bring political opposition. And what we find, actually, as we read on through Ezra, we read into the book of Nehemiah, that that's a pattern that continues right throughout the rebuilding work. It would become a a pattern of opposition that came against the rebuilding of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Enemy wants to strike discouragement, fear, and bring opposition. And we mustn't miss this today. You see, whenever we look to join God's plan to do something, to build something for him, his kingdom, the advance of his kingdom, the building of the church, we must realize that we are entering into a battlefield. The Christian life, Paul describes the Christian life, doesn't he, as a battle He talks about the armor of God and we have to be prepared for battle in Ephesians 6. That we're to put on the armor of God to be ready for this day of battle so that we can take our stand. How many of us apply that to our life every day? It's too easy, isn't it, in the West to just think, actually, we're okay today. (laughs) Not much is going to happen today. And we can easily slip into civilian mode, can't we? And not battle mode. But the truth is, actually, we need to be arming ourselves for battle. Every day, when we, when we get up, go out the door, we're walking into the fray. The enemy has plans to frustrate the kingdom of God. He's working his hardest to fight against it. He wants to discourage us. He wants to strike fear into our hearts and bring opposition against you in whatever form that might take. And so just as frustration arises here in Ezra because they're rebuilding the temple, we have to be alert to that in our Christian lives as we seek to advance the kingdom, as we seek to build the church, to join in God's plan to build his church We will face all kinds of difficulties. All kinds of frustration will come against that. In our our corporate life together as a church, perhaps in your personal life as well, as individuals. Because we are in a battle. We have an enemy who wants to discourage us. We have an enemy who wants to make us fearful and bring opposition against us. And so we mustn't... Be lulled into thinking that, oh, just just being part of church, it's an easy ride. It's an easy thing. We just turn up on Sunday, we have a nice worship time, go home, go about our daily business. No, we're in a battle. The battle's real. We're trying to build something for God, aren't we? We want to see the kingdom advance. We want to see things move forward like The Israelites here, they're trying to rebuild the temple. And I know here in in, in Jubilee Derby, you want to build that sense of God's presence in your meetings. That's what the temple of God was all about. And as you're trying to build a church like that, where God is worshipped, where the presence of God is manifest amongst us, and where that's kind of spilling out into all kinds of other areas in the city, There will be opposition. There will be frustration. Secondly, I want to look at how does 
frustration make us feel? When we face frustration, how does it make us feel? Because what we find at the end of chapter 4 here, that last verse, verse 24, it tells us that the work grinds to a halt. The work comes to a halt. And what the verse doesn't explicitly say here is that this delay is a long one, okay? And there's, there's some debate in, amongst comment, comment, uh, commentators about how long that delay is. Some will say it's like 20 years. Some will say it's like more like 60, 70 years. It's just for argument's sake, we're not going to get into that now. Let's say it was 20 years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? A 20-year delay in what you'd come to do. The Bible doesn't tell us how they felt about that. But I want you to try and imagine, how would that make you feel? These people had come because they felt God had called them to come and do this thing, to rebuild the temple. And many of that returning party, they would have never seen Jerusalem. The, the Israelites had been in exile for 70 years. Many would have been born into exile. They'd never experienced Jerusalem. They'd never experienced the temple. And yet they'd left behind a life, probably a relatively settled life now in captivity, left behind a comfortable life to come to this ruined city and rebuild. We learn in chapter 2 that many of them gave free will offerings. They poured money into it. They poured their, their possessions into it. So people had invested their time, their money. They'd given up their, their, you know, their whole life to come and to do this thing. And suddenly the work grinds to a halt. 20 years of delay. I don't know about you. But I would have found that very difficult to understand. Why, God? Why did you bring us here? Why did you move us here? Why did you call us to come and rebuild? Why did you give us everything we need to go only for the work to grind to a halt? We got so far. The altar had been built. The foundations were laid. Why would God allow this work to Come to a standstill now. Doesn't he see how much we've invested in this? How much we've sacrificed for this? And all of a sudden, you can begin to feel very disorientated, can't you? Where is God in this? What, what, what is he doing? Perhaps this isn't his will after all. I thought I knew how it was going to work out. I thought this was going to happen. But now... I don't know. Anybody ever felt like that? I often do. I often do. I think, God, why are things happening this way? It's amazing how often a, a moment of breakthrough is followed by a moment of opposition and frustration. Anyone found that too? Moments of breakthrough. We think, wow, God's broken in. God's done something amazing here. And suddenly, things get difficult. It feels like things come to a halt. It's been a bit like that for us in Leicester. We moved in November last year. And 
I really felt God was saying to us that he wanted to do something new in Leicester and that we were part of that. And so we laid out the vision and values of the church in January uh, this year. Actually, we saw someone saved in February, which was amazing because we hadn't seen someone saved in Leicester for a long time. So that was so encouraging, a real breakthrough for the church. And I felt a real key part of this new season was going to move was going to be us moving to a new venue, which uh, we'd found one in the city centre, which we felt like God was speaking to us about to go there. And so we told the church, we laid it out. We said, God's telling us to go here. And we started putting plans in place only to find all of a sudden the person we were dealing with actually didn't have the authority to make the decision. And the line manager said, no, you can't come. You can't come. We were praying into it. We were believing God for it. Then all of a sudden, the door closed. Frustration. It all seemed to be going so well. It all seemed to be taking shape. The road we were going down, suddenly there's a, there's a roadblock in the way. And it's easy in those times to feel disorientated, isn't it? I thought God led us there. I thought God said this would happen. Perhaps you're feeling like that right now in your personal situation. Perhaps you're feeling like that in church life, circumstances in church life where you're feeling like that. You felt like you were making progress, you were moving forward, but all of a sudden, things come to a halt. So, thirdly and finally, how do we handle frustration? The first thing we need to realize is that frustration is a part of normal life. Yeah, It's normal. Romans 8 verse 20 says, speaking about the fall, it says, for creation itself was subjected to frustration. To frustration. So there's this undertone of frustration running through the whole of creation that, that not everything is operating as it's supposed to. As God intended it from the beginning. But man's fall, the consequences of sin, means that, 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 that even creation itself is subjected to frustration. And so we have to realize, actually, we can't just get past it. It's there, woven into the way things are. So the goal isn't just to get rid of frustration in our lives. The goal is actually to handle it well. How do we handle it? How will you handle frustration when it hits? Because it will hit in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of shapes and forms. You will experience frustration in your life. And so how do we handle that? Well, I just two very basic fundamental truths that I think we, I want to look at. And it's through trusting God and through perseverance, okay? Nothing new. Two things I hope you've heard about before. But actually two things that we need to really grasp in our hearts, in our spirits. That we really do need to trust God and we need to learn to persevere. So we need to trust God. You see, when frustration hits, the biggest temptation is to doubt God, isn't it? When things don't work out the way we thought, 
the easiest thing to do is to think, oh, maybe God's not in it. Perhaps he didn't say. Perhaps he didn't say that. And we can begin to doubt. And in our frustration, where will we turn? Do we turn to God? Will we keep trusting him? Or do we turn somewhere else? Do we go to somebody else? Because the truth is, it's in those moments that our true heart is exposed. It's when frustration hits, it's when difficult times come that our true heart is exposed. It's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I trust God on a Sunday morning and we're singing the songs we like and things are going well. You're drawing a nice salary, you're fit as a fiddle, you're happily married, you've got kids. But what about when you haven't got those things? What about when you lose your health? What about when you, you, know, you haven't found the person to marry yet? And you feel, well, I, those were things I wanted, God. Those were things I planned for my life. You feel disorientated. You're struggling to see how, how could God let this happen? Perhaps you say, Lord, you know, this, this was never my plan for my life, Lord. This is not what I wanted, God. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have this job. I wanted to be this, this far ahead at this point on my plan for my life. And all of a sudden, your heart is exposed, isn't it? You think it's your plan, do you? You think your life is about you and your plan. What was all that stuff about giving your heart completely to me? You see, the truth is, it's God's plan, isn't it? It's his plan. It's not our plan. It's his kingdom. It's not our kingdom. Jesus, is, Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, not my will be done. You see, God knows what he's doing, even when we don't. He does. He sees the bigger picture. We see just a fraction, just a, the tiniest glimpse. But God sees it all. He knows all. And we sung this morning, you know, he's high and above understanding, isn't he? That's how glorious our God is, that we cannot fathom him. He's too glorious. He's too wonderful. The Bible says his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're higher. He knows better. He understands better. And so often we can think, but I, you know, I wanted this in my life, Lord. We can sing songs like, I live for you alone, God. But what happens when we don't get what we thought we were going to get? Things don't happen the way we thought they were going to happen. You see, God is about his plan. He's about his work, which is to glorify his son, Jesus. And in that, he's working together for our good, the Bible says. So he's working it all together. He sees the great big picture and he works it all together for the glory of his son and for our good. So the question is, really, are you in on his plan? Will you trust 
him for your circumstance, for your situation. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. It's not easy, is it? But we must keep realigning our thoughts, our fears, our discouragements, our doubts with these truths. That he is in control. That he's working it all together for the glory of Jesus and for our good. And we can trust in him. We can trust him even when we don't understand. We can lean on his understanding. And we believe that as we do that, actually, he can make our path straight. This doesn't mean mean that we don't feel discouraged. We don't feel afraid. You know, there's times when we feel those things. They're real. And one thing I'm learning is that actually feelings aren't wrong. Okay, when you feel discouraged, when you feel afraid. Those in and of themselves are just feelings. They're not wrong. And it's good to talk about those things. It's good to talk to someone. I talk to my wife. I talk to some good close friends when I feel discouraged, when I feel afraid. And it's good to express those things. The worst thing you can do is is just try and stuff them down, bottle them up. We must give voice to them. We must talk about them. And I'd really encourage you, when you do feel discouraged when you do face frustration you need to talk about it with someone who are you talking to about your frustrations but if we never make our way back to God's word and choose to believe what he says over what we feel then actually what we will find is our hearts begin to drift away from God we'll find ourselves turning to other things to give us what we want Instead of God. You see, God is looking for a people that will trust him in every season of life. Yeah, Through the highs and through the lows. Through the joys and the tears. Through breakthroughs and through frustrations. Because that's the true heart of worship. It's not just when things are good. I don't just love my wife when things are good. I love her when things are difficult. God's looking for a people that are like that. Who are so devoted to him that even when they feel disorientated, even even when they feel, I don't quite know how life is working out. I don't know why I'm facing all these difficult circumstances, but still I will trust in him. And we have good reason actually to trust God. We have good reason to trust God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he writes this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He's saying, look, I want the eyes of your hearts to be opened that you might see more of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You see, that's the basis of our trust. It's not how well our circumstances are going. It's not how how good things are at church at the moment. It's not how good things are at home at the moment. 
The reason we can trust in God is because we've seen his goodness to us in Jesus. When we see Jesus, we know that God's for us because he died for us. When we see Jesus, we know that he loves us. Again, because he, he gave it all for us. And so we know we can trust him. He really is worthy. He really is trustworthy, this God, because we see it demonstrated in Jesus. If Jesus gave up his life for me, then I know I can trust him with everything. With everything. I may not understand what's going on here, but I know I see Christ and I see his sacrifice. And so I know I can trust my God. So perhaps that's you. Perhaps you need just... To get a fresh glimpse of Jesus again this morning in your circumstances. Whatever you're going through at the moment. Perhaps we need to pray for you that the eyes of your hearts might be opened to see Jesus again. So we need to trust God. And we need to persevere. We need to persevere. And this isn't really a popular idea, is it? Perseverance. In a world of fast food. High speed internet. One night stands, everything is about instant gratification. I want it now. And this idea of perseverance is very different. It's a slow thing. We will get there. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen now. We have to be so careful that this sense of instant gratification, consumerism doesn't slip into the church. Yeah, James Chapter 1 verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it's through perseverance, actually, that we grow into mature Christians. Just as the Olympic athlete goes into four years of strict training, grueling training to prepare for the Olympics, Just as students study hard, I hope, for three years or more to get their their exam and to graduate, the Christian must learn to persevere in life in order to reach maturity in faith. And so do you know what? God allows times of frustration. God allows it so that we might learn to persevere, so that we might grow up in our faith. Perhaps that's why you're facing frustration now. Because God wants to grow you. God wants to speak to you about something in that time. Have you ever stopped to think about that? When things are difficult, when things are hard, the temptation is I just I just need to get through it. Just need to kind of grit my teeth and get through. Often we don't stop and think, well what What is God trying to tell me through this? What does God want to grow in me through this? How is God challenging my heart right now? How does he want to mature me through this? Because it's it's as we learn to persevere in these times that actually we grow up into maturity. We mustn't just try and rush on through, get through it, grit our teeth and bear it. Because actually, if that's our attitude, then maybe actually God will never move us from that place. Instead, we need to stop and think, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? 
And perseverance means that we don't give up. We don't give up. We keep going. We keep doing what we know God has called us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we don't understand. We keep on serving. We keep on giving. We keep on loving our neighbor. We keep on looking to bless those around us with the same blessing we've received from God. Galatians 6 verse 8 to 9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I find this verse so encouraging because I don't know about you. You can get weary, can't you, in just doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Or it can feel like that sometimes. I need to keep loving my neighbor. I need to keep stepping out. I need to keep doing the things I know God wants me to do. And I find this so encouraging because it's a promise from God saying that if you persevere, if you do not give up, then at the proper time, actually, you will reap a harvest. You will. And so let's embrace this idea of perseverance in our lives. That, yes, we will face obstacles. Yes, we will face frustration in our lives. But actually, God is working in it for our good, in that he wants us to persevere. He wants us to learn to press through, to not give up, because he's growing us, he's maturing us as Christians. And we need to let perseverance finish its work so that we might become mature and reap a harvest at the proper time. And as we come to an end, I just want to, again, point you to Jesus and say, look to him. Because he is a great example for us of these two things. You see, Jesus, he trusted God, didn't he? Even when it meant he went to the cross. And we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus wrestling with God's will for his life. God, can't you take this cup from me? I don't, I don't want to drink from this cup, Lord. But yet not my will, but your will be done. And we see the ultimate example of what it means to trust God and persevere to the end in Jesus. And being a Christian is about following in his footsteps, isn't it? Jesus persevered. He trusted God, even though it, he knew the cost to him. It would cost him his life. So I want to challenge you this morning as we come to an end. Should we stand up? Perhaps we can have the band come forward. Where are you at personally today? What frustration are you facing right now in your life? Because I know, I look out across this room, I know pretty much every one of us can think of one situation, I imagine. Where we think, this is just driving me mad, this situation. Frustration. And where are you at with that? Do you feel 
disorientated? Do you feel like, I don't quite know what God's doing here? The things I thought or I planned to happen haven't happened. Well, the truth is, do you know what? He's working in your life, even through that situation. In every season of life, God is at work. How is your heart? What's God saying to you right now? What does he want to deal with you right now? I believe he wants to lead us all to that deeper place of trusting in him, leaning not on our own understanding, but looking to him, trusting that he will make our path straight. He will make our way through and we can rely on him. I just believe that some of us need to make that choice today. Actually, God, I'm going to trust you. In this situation, again, I want to say, I trust you, God. I trust you. I'm not going to try and just sort it out a different way. I'm going to look to you and trust you. If that's you this morning, we'd love to just pray for you. You know God's speaking to you right now about that situation that's causing you frustration. God's saying, come and trust me. I want to work in you. I want to change you. I want you to learn to persevere that you might grow and that you might reap a harvest at the proper time. So if that's you, I just encourage you as the band begin to play, lead us in a song, just to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.